This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven to you. Robbery homicides take me. Give me all you got! Listen, Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and we are 14 minutes down in Michael Mann's epic LA crime saga, Heat. And I'm joined by, well, it's a real treat for the guy I'm being joined by right now because we're doing this over Skype, so if the audio sounds a bit funny, um, I apologize. But I'm joined by the co-host of an enduring geek Australian institution or sort of, sort of cross uh, Commonwealth institution, as it were, uh, very recently. Um, he is a writer for things like Vice, The Guardian. He is also an accomplished author. He's, I've desperately been Googling to find out what his acronym was on Ain't It Cool News, but it seems to be wiped off the <laughs> internet. So I'm going to ask him about that as well. Um, his name is Lee Zachariah. His book is Double Dissolution, Heartbreaking Chaos on the Campaign Trail. He's written for a stack of shows, The Hamster Wheel, Check Out, Mad as Hell, was a co-host of The Bazira Project. I am thrilled that he has decided to take time out of his day to talk to me about Michael Mann's Heat. Lee, say hello. Hello, thank you for having me. It's a it's an honour to be here and to discuss what I feel is the best minute of heat with you. <laughs> uh, I, I I love that everyone's going to have an opinion on that, and I, I don't think you're wrong. I think there's some good minute. You're 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 here for some good minute, Lee. We're it's gonna, quality minute. We're going to pause here. We're going to let the folks who are listening along listen to this current minute of heat, and then we're going to come back and chat about it. Sure. Malibu Equity and Investments. Roger Van Zandt. Owns banks in the Caymans. Runs investment portfolios for offshore drug money. Stuff like that. So? So? He ripped off his bearer bonds. Yeah, he's got insurance. That's the point. He collects 100% from the insurance. He's a player. Maybe he buys his bonds back from us for 60% of their value. Make 40% on top of the 100%. Sell it back to him instead of going to the street that's an extra 320000 to you. Try it out. Kelso called. About uh, what? The score he's putting out wants you to look at. What do I need his score for? I got my own. It says it's clean in low eight figures. 9 a.m. tomorrow. What happened out there? Don't ask. Ooh, a Ooh. tasty, a tasty minute. I love that minute so much. Actually, I, I love that minute for a lot of reasons because of the dynamic of that conversation with Voight and De Niro. They just go back and forth, um, and as as you guys would have heard, that sort of a bit of the fallout we finally saw in the in the previous minute. We saw the beginning of this conversation, very much talking shop. It's still set in downtown LA. It's not very far away from the crime scene. They're talking in a parking garage, and this is where we sort of see one of the decisions to make a turn on their mark to try and make some more money because he's a dodgy guy, Roger Van Zantz, uh, played, um, played greatly and also does, does it again, um, as we talked about uh, by um, Fickner, uh, uh, again, later in the film. But, Lee, what did you think of this minute? 
What, uh, look, uh, look, I think it's a great minute. I've been a big fan of this minute uh, since <laughs> since long before I um, wrote for Ain't It Cool News under the pseudonym Harry Knowles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you owe no, some money I, to the IRS, sir, I believe, if that's you. Uh, oh, in that case, let's say Drew McQueenie. Drew McQueenie. Um, no, it's... Uh, uh, no, it was Latoro for the for the record. Uh, the the ain't a cool down under just you know just correcting the record there. Um, yeah, look, it's 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 interesting because it's one of those uh, uh, sort of it, it was going against the grain of those '90s uh, films where you had you know the the dialogue was sort of over not over explained, but it was hyper stylized in a way that was accessible. You had Tarantino. Having you know all the, the pop culture references and the and you know so many quotable lines of dialogue, Heat has very cool dialogue, but it goes against the grain in that it's not something you quote. You don't sit there and go um, you know forty forty percent above the uh, above the hundred. You clear an extra three hundred. You know you're not sitting on the bus with your friends <laughs> quoting those lines. You just you're watching as you know cool seventies character actors who have aged into their wrinkles perfectly are now just saying cool stuff to each other and you've just got to trust that they know what they're talking about because I'm not following any of it. Yeah, and you're sort of there. And this is a um, uh, a great quote from a previous podcast that a uh, previous guest, Stu Coote, talked about was the mammoth quote that people love watching people like professionals do things proficiently. Like there's nothing better. I'm sort of paraphrasing, but there's nothing better than watching professionals do things really well, like do their job super well. And in this case, it's just like, I love the casual nature. It's just so business as usual. They're just talking. And both of these guys, by this stage in their career, 95, have got the reputation for being big. You know, like the next, mm. one of the next things that John Voight does after this movie is like Anaconda. <laughs> so it's <laughs> kind of out of control. This guy is a huge, you know, he's larger than life. And now dialing it right back to the point that, you know, he's got that moustache and mullet combo and got some sort of it looks like he's got a sunburn like they've gone to that level to just go let's take all the shine off the fact that this is john voight he's going to be talking to de niro and the crime on crime stuff is what's kind of fascinating here it's like it's the job is stealing a hundred you know a million dollars of the bearer bonds is one thing but when the guy makes his money from his insurance we can sell it back to him which Mm. It's it's like a, a layers of complexity and cool and like huh okay I understand and and Nate as a character is so uh, he's such an interesting weird like uh, enigma of a character he's just very proficient very cool but he, he's not you if you if we go back into the scene um, he he's just so I mean he looks underdressed he looks like in a mm. he's like in a Kmart suit. And now he's talking about selling hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars back, you know, gaining hundred thousand dollars from another pile on of this criminal activity. It's yeah, so it's it's that kind of like you've got to be a professional. You know, we know they're professionals because they're not just talking about let's go steal something. They're like after you steal the thing, then that thing with the insurance and forty percent on that, and you sell it back <laughs> to the guy, and you put that in the thing, and you're like, wow, these guys know what they're doing. They're yes. not just robbing Seven Elevens, as uh, <laughs> as uh, I think Pacino says uh later on later on but um but yeah it's uh yeah it, it was i remember even being being aware when i saw this film it might have been the first film i saw john voight in i'm not sure uh i certainly hadn't at that age when it came out i hadn't seen midnight cowboy or deliverance at that but i was aware that he was a sort of a big name from the 70s and there was sort of that extra cool of seeing that 
this was such a big film, this was the De Niro Pacino film, that you could get someone like John Voight to just be a supporting actor. That's how big this film was. Yes. I was sort of aware of that at, uh, at 15 when I saw it. You saw it at 15. So did you see it in the theatre or did you see it on like home video? Um, I'm pretty sure I saw it on home video. So maybe I was a bit older. But, yeah, um, I, I would have been around the same age, but I remember like the film was December 1995 and kids out there, who've got the luxury of things like Netflix or, you know, on demand movies that came out in America in December, 1995 may not have even come to a theater in Australia until probably October in 1996. Like there was a significant lag time. And then I remember it being on home video when I was like a full, more than a year later. So I would have been like in 1997 and that was my Mm. first experience with heat. So seeing these guys, I think you're, you're dead right. I'd seen Al Pacino before I'd seen Val Kilmer before. I think probably I'd like, Oh, he's Batman. Like I'd seen Val Kilmer. Um, definitely hadn't seen John Voight before. And and then you, just sort of dive backward into these people's resumes and just go, wow, look at all these amazing people that are around this. And mm. I may have seen Silence of the Lambs, but you know, you look at Ted Levine who's coming up Ted and Levine, you're like, yeah. he's just, you would never, behind the walrus moustache, you would never notice that he's the same guy um, mm. dancing to Goodbye Horses. Um, so <laughs> the. I think- and he's untucked in scenes too, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Untucked. Um, this, um, there are other great scenes that happen sort of in the fallout, but this seems like a scene straight off the bat that is just, it's a nothing scene. It's an exposition scene. It's a bit of explanation. It's a bit of context. But I think what's great about it for me is just how completely loaded with, I guess, the rest of the film's uh, pratfalls or the the mind it's like a minefield being laid out. So trying it on with Van Zant is a huge minefield later on in the film. And mm. clearly Nate may have been the guy you assume um, just from the one line that's we can sort of we haven't gotten to yet. But just from that one line where he's like, "What happened out there?" You can Nate's the guy who got Wayne Grow the job. It feels like. And so when I look at this wonderful to and fro scene that is not a lock off. It's not, it's not the same sort of confrontational lock off that we see later shot reverse shot with um, Pacino and De Niro and say the coffee shop scene. It's a very organic, you know, interplay, but Mm. I love that we're setting up a minefield with Van Zandt. We've got to touch on what's, you know, we've got to touch on the next massive job with Kelso who um, we get, you know, get the brief mention of Tom Noonan's character coming up, which is who, who is, fantastic in this movie as well and then that one line that final piece of fallout what happened out there you know and it i feel like when i hear john voight say that that line again what happened out there it's it's kind of the more that i watch it i'm I'm imagining him going oh yeah i've got this guy he you know he's an action junkie he'll like this job he shouldn't kill Mm. anyone he should i'm I'm pre pre preempting a conversation that maybe has happened before going well i I think uh i think there is the the answer to that what happened out there don't ask is uh is the perfect sort of leading to the next i mean we're already you know we're 15 minutes into this film now and we have sympathy with de niro and also he's played by we we know we're meant to have sympathy for him it's not just a cop tracking down bad guys but the film is still reminding us that because we're about to go into the crime scene and Pacino is about to look at all the dead bodies and go, God, what a mess. These guys are, uh, are animals. And you can see the regret in De Niro. He's like, don't ask. That should not have happened. Should not have gone down that way. 
And and you're exactly right. And what's I think what's great is it sort of starts at about 14 minutes, 52 seconds. You you mm. cut from De Niro's sort of walking away. He set up the meeting with Kelso. He's like, don't ask. This shouldn't have happened. But you get the gravity of it because we kind of we, we kind of assume that it's in the morning. You know, they stole the ambulance. It wasn't gone for long. They've just done this in the morning. Bang, first job, first cab off the rank. And so far, the local police of this area have not like are only just containing this thing. Like it's a mess. It's a mm. it's a rollicking mess. There are police cars everywhere. The massive tow truck's still there. There are down lights. They've locked everything off. There's probably traffic gridlock all over the place because of, of what's happened. Um, but you really start to get a sense, and I love that sort of, um, I love that different perspective that, you know, the last time you saw a cop car coming up this street that was streaming towards um, uh, spikes, road spikes that were across there, and Pacino mm. sort of sidles back up, and we sort of, the last couple of seconds, I mean, he's not even out of his car as 15 minutes rolls in. He's just lifting up that police tape. Here he is. He's about to be a part of this. Um, mm. And and that and you, you mentioned the uh, you know we would be starting to get this in '97 you know on home video in Australia, which was around the time we started getting movie trailers. We started you know the internet was big enough to handle like low res movie trailers, but still. <laughs> and I remember this was one of the ones I used to watch all the time. Heat, uh, just the I was so struck by the the colours, the blues, and the reflective glass. And uh, I used to just watch the beginning over and over again, which was I think the shot of the train and then the gun being put down on the glass table and was just, and yeah, and it's that, that shot as well of, of, uh, of Pacino driving up the, you know, just the, it's such a, it, it wants to be a cool film and it absolutely achieves that. And part of that <laughs> is the, the coolest color, like is blue. really. <laughs> and, so, and you're right about it being kind of out of time. I think that's, what's amazing about Michael Mann as a filmmaker is you know, you look at his contemporaries, and if you see when he started making films, he's he's a bit. It's it's in the same way that you would hold Malick in the same regard as, um, you know, uh, filmmakers that came from sort of the new Hollywood era, whether it be your Scorsese's or or um, your, your Coppola's or just you know just start rattling them off. You would name um, uh, Cassavetes. You know, there's those guys. They all came out of that era. You know, Hopper made um, uh, his films. And you look at these guys like Malik, who makes like a film a decade until now, where it's just like a log jam. Um, and Michael Mann doesn't fit with Robert Rodriguez, Quentin Tarantino, Kevin Smith. Mm. Like he doesn't fit at in 1995 with this because it's post Reservoir Dogs, it's post you know El Mariachi, it's post Clerks, and and this is the time where it's like no, we're gonna we're gonna have new faces and new people, and like it's gonna be rock star. Um, you know, Linklater was now as well, like right at this very corridor. So it's this weird out of time film, but it, it just suits to perfection. I think what what you're talking mm. about here, it's like it's coming in, it's 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 really classic, but at the same time. It's not trying to be as cool as I think it just sort of effortlessly is cool. So then it it is it's cooler for that very reason. It is, and and I think yeah, it's cool for yeah for an entirely different reason to to how that sort of Sundance generation that was coming up at the same time. <laughs> yeah. You know, he is so parallel to them. He's so separate from them, and uh, and he is that sort of you know everything from the dialogue to the cinematography sets him apart and roots him in. The 70s where you know he's a 70s filmmaker making a 90s film and don't you forget he's not tarantino who loves the 70s and <laughs> yeah. he's doing a callback he is he is evolved he is the 70s filmmaking aesthetic evolved into the 90s so it's it's interesting to watch uh those two sort of i guess movements happen 
in in parallel to one another. Yeah, I think like if you were planning a um, if you were planning like a crime double feature, you would have to go to like oh French Connection. Like let's let's do a French <laughs> Connection. Let's do a Bullet. And very similarly with his next film, The Insider, they're both born mm. directly out of you know, post Watergate paranoia films or like, you know, Watergate paranoia films. So, you know, all the president's men could play alongside the insider, like nobody's business. Mm. Um, whereas yeah. it, in 97, it's, um, it's, it's sort of using all those formulas and all of that, um, all of that. It's almost like Hollywood sense memory. It's not, it's, it's kind of that weird parallel, but we come up, Yeah, we're seeing here lots of blues. And again, Funnily enough, I've just noticed that, like, talking to you now, this is where the obsession, you know, uh, I think the uh, one of our previous guests called it the room t- 237 of it all, is that you've got the, again, these blue arches, similar to the train station at the beginning of the movie coming up all here. It's 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 all blues. It's all crazy. Um, this is a really good minute. But the next it's minute... The next minute's pretty good, Lee. And it is. It is. Uh, he, he. It's possible he even tops this minute with his next minute. <laughs> it's. It's pretty good minute. And so, look, I. I just feel like these. These two things. These two minutes that come along. They're not part of the same scene. But um, ending with Nate asking Neil McCauley what happened out there and him saying "Don't ask." I think the perfect thing is for to watch someone else try and get a gauge and understand what happened out there. Um, Absolutely. And, and in this next scene, I think you're going to see right in the thick of it. So I have to ask, would you like to come back mm. for one more heat minute? Let me, let me check my schedule. Um, yes, I think I can do that. I yes. think I can clear some time. Yes. I'll be back. Lee will be back. Ladies and gents, thank you so much for listening to another episode of One Heat Minute. Um, we have now passed through the Nate Neal conversation. We're moving in to the LAPD robbery homicide divisions and Detective Vincent Hanna driving up to the crime scene that we saw in the first couple minutes of this movie. Come and check it out with Lee and I very shortly. Thank you so much, Mr. Lee Zachariah, for joining me on One Heat Minute. Ladies and gents, the best place to find Lee is on Twitter at Lee Zachariah, which is L-E-E-Z-A-C-H-A-R-I-A-H. And that will lead you off into all the many places that you will find him. Also, every month, uh, the institution, as I mentioned, hell is for hyphen. It's still kicking along, going beautifully. So subscribe and rate and review that bad boy, as well as subscribing, rating and reviewing one heat minute. Thank you so much for your company. And I am Blake Howard at Blake is Batman on Twitter if you want to follow along and check out updates for one heat minute.